of the sheet. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll be reading from Nehemiah 1, 8, 1 through 8, but I'm actually taking our prayer before that to uh, have the Spirit's help in understanding from Nehemiah 1, where it says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that is praying before you day and night for all of your faithful. Amen. Okay. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate, in the presence of the men and women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Mattiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and on his left were Padiah, Michelle, Malkajah, Hashem, Abijab, and Zechariah, and Meshlam. Ezra opened the book. <laughs> Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God of all the people, and lifted their hands and shouted, Amen, Amen. Then God bowed down. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord their God with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Shemim, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Matthiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning of to the people that were there that stood while it was being read.
Courtney, thank you for reading all those hard words so I don't have to. I'll try not to to block you here real quick. Um, So what you you just heard is, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about it, uh, more in just a second, but what you just heard is this this first worship service uh, back when they had when the people of Israel had rebuilt the temple, and we actually looked at this passage um, a couple of years ago, but we're going to look at it again today as we keep working through our our summer series about liturgy. Liturgy is the way we worship, the the way we go through that process of worshiping God. And what we try and do is we try and be guided by what we see in the Word. Um, God, uh, if if God is the only one that should be worshiped, God gets to decide how He is worshiped. And so we want to try and and do that well. Um, Today, as we look at this, one of the things I want you to know is that the biggest difference The biggest difference between the gospel and really every other system of belief, um, including what some people would call, you know, religion, uh, the, the difference is this. Everything else, everything else says that you need to obey so that you can be accepted. You need to obey so that you can be enlightened. You need to obey so that you can receive some kind of favor. In fact, even if you look at culture and and kind of the, there there is kind of a general cultural belief that you can find expressed in, in different countries. If you look at our culture, the general belief is obey what we're telling you so we don't destroy you, right? All of these other things, all of these other things, what they're doing is they're saying obey first so that you get this. The difference with the gospel is this, that grace precedes obedience. Grace precedes obedience. We see it in the Old Testament. Uh, we see this, this pattern all throughout, but you see it in Exodus 20, verse 2. The Lord has brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, away from Pharaoh, done all these incredible things. And he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And what he's doing then is right after that, he begins those familiar words of, you shall have no other gods before me. And he begins to go through what we call today the Ten Commandments. But it starts with, it starts with grace. I have saved you. I have rescued you. I have pulled you out. I have done all these things. So, obey. We see it in the New Testament again and again and again with Jesus. And if you didn't hear Carol's sermon last week, then go to, go to the website, get on a podcast, call up and ask for a CD. I will even find a way to make you a cassette tape if you want. But go back and listen to that sermon because that's exactly what she's talking about is how you see Jesus doing the same thing. Jesus will come and he will heal someone. Grace precedes obedience. And we see that here in this passage as well. Right before what Courtney read, we see this in chapter 7, verse 73. It says, 
So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Here is God being so gracious, bringing the people back, bringing them out of exile, helping them as, as they're doing this construction and rebuilding the temple and, and rebuilding the wall and doing all these things. And it says, and now they're in their towns. They each had their home. And then Ezra opened the book of the law and began to read grace precedes obedience. People, even Christians, get confused about this. We, we get confused about this point all the time, and we get confused about what the law is and it isn't. If you look back at kind of what society says and, and how society um, talks about Christians and how they think about Christians, and even the way sometimes Christians talk about Christians, it's this idea of if you want to be a Christian, then you need to go do these things so that you can be a Christian. But here's the thing. The law is not God coming and saying, if you want to make me happy, if you want my favor, if you want to be my people, then do this or else. That's not what the law is. What the law is, is it is a gracious God coming and saying, because I have loved you, because I have redeemed you, live worthy of the calling. Live worthy of the grace that you have received. And as we think about that, and we begin to meditate on that, and as, as our worship is designed to lead us to this point, we, we start with this adoration, it leads us into confession and assurance and thanksgiving, and, and we pray and we ask for the Lord's intercession, and we get to this point of thinking about all the things God has done, all the grace that we have received in our life, and we get to this point where, where, where we feel the Spirit saying, live worthy of that calling, and we say, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, there's one way that you could do it. There's one way that you could do it, but let me, let, let, let's just think about it this way. So what would you do um, what would you do if you hired a plumber or, or an electrician and you say, hey, I need you to come, you know, rewire my house or, hey, I need you to come like redo the, the sewer line or something like that. And the plumber comes and they're, they're working for a while and you, you know, you kind of leave and you go away and you come back and you say, you know, they say, okay, well, I'm all done. And you say, okay, that's great. Hey, by the way, how did you, how did you get into all this stuff? How did you learn how to, how to do this? And they said, oh, I just kind of figured it out on my own. Well, didn't you, you know, apprentice with somebody, didn't, you know, become a journeyman? Didn't you, you know, go get your license, go to the state, take your test? Did, did you do all that, that kind of thing? Did you work side by side with some people and, and have them teaching you? No, no, no. I just figured it out. You know, it either works or it doesn't. How fast would you go through and tear out all of the work that they had done? Because they did it, they tried to learn, they tried to do everything, figure everything out on their own. That's one of the things that we do a lot of times. We get to this question of how do I do that? And we say, you know what? I'm going to figure it all out on my own. I'm going to work on myself, by myself. Uh, I, I can do all these things that I need by myself. I can do all of this on my own. But instinctively, when we begin to apply that to other areas, instinctively we know that that just doesn't work. There are some things that we should figure out on our own, but there, and there's some growth that we need to make on our own. 
but not all of it. God has set things up so that we need each other. And that's why you see this in verse 2. Verse 1, all of the people gather together. And then in verse 2, Ezra brings the book of the law before the assembly. They get all of the people together and they say, we need to do this together. And then they begin to have church, basically. They're, they're worshiping. They're lifting up their hands. They're, they're, they're doing all of these things as the law is being read. And they're there for five or six hours from the morning to midday. They're there for five or six hours as they're learning together. And, and, and then some, But there's something curious in here. He doesn't just come out, and he doesn't just read it, and then he doesn't just close the book and say, all right, everybody good? What you see is that the Levites begin to come through and they begin to explain it to the people. Why? Well, there are barriers to understanding here. There there are some barriers that they need to overcome. There is a language barrier for one. Much of the, the text of the Old Testament, much of it's in Hebrew. These people had been in Babylon for a very long time. And, and we know from what we see, we know from looking at the book of Ezra, that a lot of them were speaking a different language now. A lot of them were speaking Aramaic. And so there's a language barrier that needs to be overcome. There are cultural and historical barriers. They had been in Babylon for 70 years Do any of you ever get set in your ways? No, not you, but I do. If you had been living in another culture for 70 years and then you come back, you have cultural and historical barriers that you need to get over. There are things that you've forgotten, things you need to relearn, things you need people to help you with. There are practical barriers as they read through the law and the people are looking around and they're saying, how do I, how do I do this? How do I apply what you're telling me to my life? And so they have practical barriers. They needed help, just like we do. We speak a different language. We live in a different culture. Uh, We we have those same historical barriers. We we look at things and we have questions like, well, why wouldn't we use the gospel of of Mary Magdalene? Or or, uh, what, what does a genealogy in an old book have anything to do with me? We, we have all of these same kinds of barriers. By the way, I just want to make a plug here for uh, our Wednesday night class this semester. Dr. Jim Martin, who's, he's, he's written books about this kind of thing. He's led tours in Israel for decades. And this is the kind of thing that's going to come up a lot. How, how do we deal with this different language, this different culture, this different history? What do these things have to do with us? He'll probably even address some things from a practical standpoint. Like when I look at Leviticus, it looks like I can't have a cheeseburger. Can I have a cheeseburger? Why? Why why can I do that? There are all these kinds of barriers that when we're asking this question, how do I live this life? There are barriers that we need to think through, we need to overcome, and we do that best together. And that's exactly what you see in verses 7 through 8. You see these... um, these Levites and these people, and they're going through, and they're, they're getting down. They're getting one-on-one. They're doing it in groups in all different ways. It's, they're going through the, the, the reading, and they're going through it clearly. Some translations will put it this way. Say they're doing it with interpretation, or they're doing it paragraph by paragraph, giving a sense 
of the text, explaining it to the people. And this is what we do together. In the community of, of worship, what we're doing is we take time and we stop and we ask ourselves, how do I live worthy of the grace that I have received? And there are different ways that we begin to answer that question. The one you're the most familiar with that probably comes to your mind most readily is preaching. We, we do that. That's part of it. Um, I love what Brian Chappell said about preaching. He says, when Paul commends the foolishness of preaching, not foolish preaching, he acknowledges the apparent senselessness of trying to transform attitudes, lifestyles, philosophical perspectives, and faith commitments with mere words about a once crucified rabbi. Yet preaching endures and the gospel spreads because the Holy Spirit uses puny human efforts as the conduit for the force of his own word. See, God, uh, by the blessing of God's Spirit, the word yet transforms. This is one of the ways that God is at work is through the preaching of His Word. Just like we see here, as the, as the people come through and they begin to explain, to give a sense, to go through, God is using His Word to instruct the people and to answer that question, how do I live worthy of the grace that I've received? But there are other ways of instruction as well. And you see that here too. Um, when we do creeds and, and confessions, when we, when we uh, recite and affirm some of these things, you're learning from people, faithful men and women in the past, people who have gone before, who are explaining things to us now. When we worship and you sing these words, whether it's from a hymn or, or whether it's from something else, we, we are learning truths. We are instructing each other. One of my favorite ways that the Lord instructs people in the community of worship is through modeling, through looking at other believers and you see them and you know what they're going through and then you see the way the Lord is at work in their lives. And it's amazing. If you spend time around Bob McCaslin, you are going to learn something about joy. Um, if you spend time around Candace, you are going to learn something about thoughtfulness and selflessness. You spend time around John Mazzola, you're going to learn about passion for evangelism. You spend time around Jan Price, you're going to learn about fixing your eyes on Jesus and trusting Him even through hard things. And I could go on and on and on, and, and none of us do it perfectly, but you all do it better than me. And I learn a lot from watching you, and you learn from watching each other. Here's the thing. With today's technology, you can stay home and you can listen to Tim Keller, <laughs> Alistair Begg, John Piper, wonderful preachers, and, and, and do, do that. Listen to what they have to say. You can read the creeds. You can listen to, to worship. You can Zoom with a Christian in Zimbabwe. That's, that's what technology can do for us today. But what you cannot do is you can't hear a sermon crafted with your face in mind. You can't hear the creeds being said along with the voices of those next to you. You can't sing together words that have been passed down or words that have been chosen for your joy. You can't stand elbow to elbow with role models in the faith. You can only get that kind of instruction in the church when you do that. When you come back and when you, you put yourself in that position to say, Lord, here I am 
with all these other sinners like me, how do I live worthy of the grace that I've received? When you do that and you take it to heart, along with that private devotion and that personal study, when you do that, what happens is your heart begins to change. And as your heart begins to change, your behaviors begin to change. We see that in verses 9 through 12. If we read on, what you will see is that you will see that all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. The Holy Spirit is working on their hearts. And then Ezra comes and he says, hey, hold on a second. This is, this is a day of celebration. Don't weep. Go home. Have a good meal. Um, um, give to your family. Find people that don't have any. Give it to them. This is a holy day. Don't be grieved. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. And so then they do that. And the the Lord works on their hearts again. And and they go and they're rejoicing. And you see that heart change as they put themselves in a place to be taught by the Word and by those around them. And what we know is that God is still doing that today. He is still changing hearts today. We could look at that here. We could look at a man named Ravan who lived in India. He lives in India. He spent a long time as a thug for a Hindu nationalist organization. He was kind of their their hit man, um, if you will. And what he would do is he would go around and he would find pastors and and Christians and he would attack them. Um, If there were people driving trucks that that had cattle and things like that in it, he and his gang, he had 40-something people that he could call up at a moment's notice and they would swarm a truck and they would get the driver out. And if he was a Hindu, they would let him go. But if he was Muslim or Christian, then they would beat him. They would warn him. They would, they would lie to the police. They'd have the police ready they, on speed dial. And when they showed up, they would lie to the police to get the person arrested. This was his job for seven years. And then one day he's going to a church to, to uh, attack the pastor, and he sits outside for a little bit, and he hears the word being taught, Psalm 1. And he sits down, and he says, it was like he was speaking directly to me. Eventually, he ended up joining a church. And while he was in the church, the Lord began to work on his heart more and led him to become a church planter. And then he got involved uh, more with the community of faith and began to, to grow in joy uh, in his passion for evangelism. He began to get instruction on, on how to preach and how to share his faith and how to do some of these things. And the persecutor became persecuted by his friends from the past. Even so... He says this. He says, God, God has led us wonderfully. Do we have that picture? I think we have a picture of him too. He says, God has led us wonderfully. I know that there will be problems, but I trust that God will protect us no matter what comes. That is what gives me the courage to continue my ministry in the village. God gave me new life, so it doesn't matter even if I die. I have an immense burden to somehow share the gospel with others. These are the kinds of changes. These are the kinds of things that God does when we gather together in worship and we gather together and say, Lord, teach us something. Because to live a life worthy of the grace that we've received, then our lives and our hearts need to change too. Maybe it's small. 
Maybe it's small for you. Maybe, maybe it's the way that you think about something needs to change. Maybe it's something bigger. Maybe there are lifelong patterns that, that need to change. Maybe, maybe there's a family history that God needs to, to redeem you from. God needs to restore something there. But the point is, every one of us, to live worthy of the grace we've received, our lives need to change. Our hearts need to change. But the good news is, God still changes hearts. And one of the most powerful ways and the most consistent ways that he does it is with his word and his spirit in the community of faith. Now, there are some people who are watching online, or maybe they'll listen to it later and they think, but what if I can't be there? The same Holy Spirit who is here is the one who is there with them. And God is not limited by exceptions to the way that, that he changes us. He's not limited by exceptions to the way he ordinarily causes growth. But ordinarily, this is how he does it. And at any day, any time, one of us could be the person who can't be there. And so I would encourage you, build up a lifetime of worshiping with the people of God. Build up a lifetime of being elbow to elbow with, with other believers who are going through the same things, people who are going through different things that can encourage you in those times when you can't be there. You can already be strengthened for it. And for those of us who can worship with the church, maybe you haven't seen it yet, but if you stick around long enough, and if you get to know the people around you and you let other people know you, what you will see, and this is a promise, is you will see sinners like the rest of us who are made new by Jesus and hearts that are being made whole by the Word of God. Who alone can change hearts? It is only God working by the Holy Spirit with His Word in our hearts. These words are faithful and true. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the one who instructs us. You are the one who teaches us. Lord, we thank you that you use our puny human efforts to do it. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us together. Lord, none of us has to go through any of this alone. We don't have to go through the hard times alone, the good times alone. We don't have to change alone. You have given us a people. By your cross, you have brought us together and you have united us in an unbreakable bond. So Lord, we ask that you would strengthen that bond. Help us to be vulnerable where we need to be vulnerable. Lord, give us hope where we need to have hope. Lord, the things that you do in our lives, help us to share them with others so that they might see your goodness. Jesus, teach us, guide us, instruct us, we pray. Amen. Now it's time to give back to the Lord, so uh, I would invite the ushers to come forward as we give God his tithes and our offerings. <laughs>